EK Publishing Media presents The Apocalypse Theater Podcast with Benjamin Allen, Episode 16. At long last, we come to the end of one of my favorite stories. Check out Episode 6, The Big Day, Episode 9, The Magic Kingdom, and Episode 13, The Rats of New York City, in order to get the complete story. I'll be rereading those first three soon. Please enjoy the fourth and final volume of Beyond Ochre. The Tower of Aeolus 1. Kayla When Kayla woke up, two weeks had passed since the firefight in the underground facility. Nadia filled her in on what had happened since. Teresa had been working day and night to fix Leoric's issues and was making major progress. She explained how Teresa had threatened to take her own life if Leoric didn't stand down. He finally did. But the damage to Kayla had been done. She lifted her right arm only to see a mechanical robot arm fused to her elbow. The only thing she could think, feel, or see was rage. Another week passed as Kayla continued her recovery. The SWAT bots scoured the city, bringing them food, and had even begun to organize the streets as they had been dispatched to do initially. Nadia visited Kayla regularly, but Kayla would not speak to Teresa. So long as she kept the AI running and didn't unplug it or fill the Leoric column with explosives, Teresa was dead to her. Several days later, Nadia entered Kayla's room in the infirmary and sat down next to her. She wore a black sport jacket over her gray tank top and faded khaki shorts and sandals. Kayla put down a comic book she had been reading. How's it going? Nadia asked. Been better, Kayla flared the robot hand. She was beginning to grow more coordinated with it the more she practiced. She still dropped everything she tried to hold, but moving the fingers was becoming more regular. What's up with you? Teresa cracked Remy's private laptop. It was in a safe in his office that I was finally able to drill open after one of those bots brought me a locksmith schematic of the safe's make and model. Get to the point, Kayla said impatiently. She didn't like hearing stories that had anything to do with Teresa or her findings. Nadia pursed her lips. We know where Leoric 2 is. And I'm supposed to give two flying craps, Kayla yelled. Nadia looked taken aback but suppressed the urge to reply in kind. I know you don't care now, but I don't care at all. Leave me alone. Kayla slammed her human fist on the face of the comic book three times. Nadia heaved an angry sigh and threw the stack of papers she'd had behind her back onto Kayla's chest. Bitch, Kayla yelled before Nadia slammed the door behind her. Kayla was about to throw the papers into the wastebasket next to her when she saw the schematics of the tower. She wasn't a geometry or physics whiz like Teresa, but she could understand big numbers and height comparisons when she saw them. The Burj Tower that once dwarfed all other skyscrapers around the world paled in comparison to the Leoric II-driven tower that was titled ominously Aeolus, after the Greek god of wind. She thought it was bogus until she continued flipping pages to see that the tower was constructed in the heart of the Colorado Mountains west of Denver, and it was designed to remain underground until after a major attack. After, the Leoric II would construct the perfect habitat to house and preserve humankind. Upon completion, the AI would corrupt itself out of existence. Kayla was sold on that last bit. She was ready to leave right now. Nadia returned later that evening to bring Kayla her food. When she saw the pages on the bedside table instead of the trash, she knew Kayla had looked at them. What do you think? Nadia asked. Sounds perfect. It's probably full of zombies by now or something. Sarcasm flared in Kayla's eyes. It's not, said Nadia, crossing her arms. We've been in touch with the tower's inhabitants. You sure you want to talk so loudly with you-know-who listening? Kayla asked. Leoric 1 is no longer a problem. I'm ready to get out of the city and hit the road. Teresa said you're fit to go whenever you feel like. 
I take it Teresa isn't leaving, Kayla said solemnly in spite of their ongoing feud. Sisters will always be sisters. She's got work to do here that makes her happy. The SWAT bots are cleaning up the whole town in full force. Can't say I wouldn't like to see the full rejuvenation of New York City, but meh, think I'm a country girl at heart. You really want to leave Teresa here with that psychotic AI? Kayla asked. Nadia shrugged. She's probably safer here than anywhere else. She's got the protection of 15,000 nigh-invulnerable SWAT bots at any given time. And based on the way Leoric 1 talks to Teresa, they won't be parting ways anytime soon. Kayla spread her arms, robotic and real, to Nadia. You sold me. Sorry for the bitch comment earlier. I'll get you back, Nadia smiled. The next morning, Kayla dressed in a blue t-shirt with a red star on the front that one of the bots had found during its cleanup. Nadia brought it for her along with some other clothes from the old world style she knew Kayla would like. She zipped up her black sport jacket and pulled on her freshly laundered digital navy fatigue pants over her pair of pink panties. Getting dressed took a lot longer than it used to, having only one reliable hand. She kept trying to share the weight burden of objects with the robot arm, only to have it fail regularly. Good morning, Kayla. You are looking well today. Leoric 1 said as Kayla rode the elevator down with a rugged navy blue backpack on her better shoulder. She didn't reply and stepped off the elevator at the bottom floor lobby of the building. The morning sunlight greeted them as Teresa and Gruff stood next to Nadia. Nadia wore an upgraded version of the dark gray suit she'd been given by her now-dead lover. The padding on the breastplate had been replaced and painted, the bullets had been extracted and plugged, 17 in total, Nadia was proud of that, and she had removed the helmet so her long brown hair was pulled into a ponytail behind her head. You're looking healthy, Teresa said to Kayla in her dull monotone as she adjusted her new glasses on her face. They were a lot less bulky than the large framed black-rimmed glasses she had worn for years while going to school at the Naval Youth Academy. She wore a lab coat under the two-big jacket that Tyler Brigham's had given to her while she was still at school. It seemed like a lifetime ago. The SWAT bots had found endless cartons of cigarettes that were still smokable from the old world. She could light up whenever she wished, though nothing tasted quite as good as freshly dried tobacco. Kid, I don't know what you're thinking. Kayla gave Teresa a hug in the first show of attention since she woke up less human and slightly more machine. Teresa smirked as the fall wind blew the white dress she wore under her lab coat about her legs that were covered in bruises. Don't worry about me, I'm more worried about you two. We're tough, said Nadia as she pulled Teresa into a close hug. Teresa began to cry and Kayla thought that was odd. We'll be fine, what's up with you? Nadia whispered. I just, sobbed Teresa, just hate you so much. I hate you too, don't forget I'm gonna get you back for sleeping with Chris. Nadia laughed as she ruffled Teresa's hair. They embraced one another for real as Nadia pressed her head to Teresa's. I love you, Teresa, you asshole, she sobbed. It was the first time Nadia had ever cried in front of them. We'll see each other again, right? Teresa breathed heavily, wiping her cheek. Oh yeah. Nadia swallowed a hunk of phlegm in her throat. We'll see each other again, I promise. She bit her lip as the two began to cry like little kids on one another. Kayla smiled, wiping her nose as she put her arms around the both of them. Gruff randomly wrapped his arms around Nadia and Kayla, breaking the awkwardness as the girls parted while laughing through their tears. What about you, Gruff? Kayla asked. Staying here? Damn right. I'm in on the ground floor of this place after the bots get finished clearing out the junk. Just gotta stay sober, he said. Sure you don't want to risk your neck day and night for a place that might be full of weirdos? Nadia asked. I'll pass. It's my goal to bring New York City back to its former glory in the weird department, he said charmingly. Nadia took a deep breath. Sounds like you guys have everything you need. 
I've already loaded the car with all the weapons, ammo, purified water, and leftover gator steaks we'll need. Just kidding. I ate those weeks ago. Full day of sunlight should take us at least halfway to Colorado. Just watch out for the dust storms, Teresa warned. Back in Ochre, we only saw the weak back ends of the storms that had already traveled thousands of miles over the U.S. before reaching us. Yeah, said Nadia. That might be my biggest concern, but the car is all-wheel drive and slightly amphibious. When they stepped through the glass front doors into the city streets of sunny New York City, Kayla almost didn't recognize the place. So much was clean. In a few years, the town might actually be livable. The solar-powered jeep outside was the only vehicle parked in front of the building, and the only vehicle on the entire street. The SWAT bots had removed all the junked cars and cleared away the mounds of rubble and sewage from the gutters. This is it, Nadia said as she put Kayla's backpack in the back seat next to their father's bag. They said goodbye and bade farewell to Gruff and hugged one another one last time before Nadia ushered Kayla into the passenger seat so they could hurry up and get out of town. 2. Nadia The SWAT bots have cleared us a path all the way through Newark, Nadia said as they drove down a sunny road through Manhattan alongside Central Park, which was still a total eyesore with all the trees and disarray amidst the mountains of debris. They traveled around Columbus Circle. The stone statue of Christopher Columbus atop the rostral column had survived the blast with a few nicks and scratches. Nadia saw it as they rounded the traffic circle and followed Broadway north for about ten minutes, passing the ruins of Columbia University and then Hamilton Heights. They continued into Washington Heights and finally turned west onto the George Washington Bridge. Getting across the bridge was a slow process as there were SWAT bots guarding the parts that were in need of repair but waving them through the safest path to the other side. They crossed the Hudson River as the morning sun shined off the murky water from behind them. They followed the I-95 Express south through Newark, exiting into the New Jersey countryside along I-78. Kayla fell asleep as Nadia drove all morning and early afternoon. It was three in the afternoon when they stopped in Allentown, Pennsylvania. A storm floated over the southern horizon and Nadia wanted to give it a chance to clear before they pushed on to the Appalachian Mountains to Kentucky where they'd have to start worrying about the plains storms. Nadia was fully aware that this was harvest season, when the autumn weather gets cooler and the crops start to die. That's when the dust storms start at their worst. Every field and farmland in the United States was left abandoned after the nuclear winter that followed the big day. Those untilled, unirrigated farms became pure dust as the autumn winds blew through the center of the country in what used to be Tornado Alley right over the Great Plains. Every year since the big day, huge clouds of dust could be seen all the way in ochre at the bottom east part of Florida. That's a long distance away from the Great Plains, and yet dust storms still found their way there. They watched the flickering lightning on the horizon as they ate canned food that the SWAT bots had stored after the big day. Their dad used to love Vienna sausages and hoarded them whenever he and one of the girls found a stash while looting food stores in southern Florida. Nadia used to wonder how there could be so much food left over with a fluctuating number of Morlocks and humans running about the post-nuclear apocalypse, but they were always surprised to find a new stash somewhere that someone hadn't found yet. What was surprisingly more common than food was ammunition. There were so many Americans with guns, especially in Florida. They stopped for the night in Hagerstown, Maryland. It wasn't only creepy to drive around the junk at night, it was extremely dangerous. They had all heard the weird stories of things happening to normal people who try to travel at night through the junk of the U.S. Nadia was able to pull their jeep into what was an old Thai restaurant in a strip mall as the rainstorms caught up to them. When Nadia yawned awake to the misty morning, she noticed that they only had about three hours of power left after driving through the previous evening. 
she decided to risk it and at least make for Morgantown, West Virginia. They arrived with the battery at the red on the dashboard and were able to park behind a gas station as the sun began to peer from the overcast sky through the afternoon. You've been quiet today, Nadia said to Kayla. Everything all right? Just hope Teresa's okay. Feel like we made a mistake leaving her behind, Kayla said and took a deep breath. She felt sick to her stomach for some reason. Feel like we made a mistake leaving altogether. Nah, you couldn't stand being in the vicinity of Leoric. I had to find a better place for you and me. Teresa sure loves all that computer shit, Kayla said. Dad always knew she would be the most likely to fix the world. We're still young, Nadia smiled. Lots of the world still needs fixing. You'll find your calling. How does the tallest tower ever conceived sound? Sounds pretty neat, Kayla said and looked out the window to the right at the empty field. People used to tell stories about the nuclear apocalypse and how nightmarish it would be. Irradiated zombies would roam the lands, radiation storms might crop up out of nowhere, and the bands of marauders fighting over impossible resources like gasoline would be everywhere. That's not how it was at all. It was worse because there wasn't anything. There were no irradiated zombies, the radiation was pretty much washed out and floating around in the ocean so there were no radiation storms, dust storms, sure. As for marauders, the Morlocks weren't nearly organized enough to be considered a real threat to anyone with any kind of tactical training. It was just constant, defeated American territory, and that depressed the shit out of Nadia. She thought about the United States and what it stood for before the big day. There was always corruption and there were always big businesses trying to figure out ways to rip everyone off. But then the honest people outweighed the greedy. People who just wanted to live to the end of their life in peace and wanted the same for their neighbor and their neighbor's neighbor. The idea that anyone deserves nuclear annihilation is literally throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's murdering more innocents to make some ridiculous political point against a rival for whatever reason. Nadia's goal was to create a society that was driven to colonize the skies. She wanted a militaristic lifestyle that people could fall into so they could structure their lives around a meaning. The only real frontier that hadn't been conquered, even as they spent the last 24 hours driving through unclaimed lands in the US, was space. Humankind needed a kick in the ass. They needed to be motivated to stop looking to each other and start looking to the stars. It was the ultimate endgame for any race that wanted to exist beyond the lifespan of their home planet. An hour after the afternoon sun had baked their solar panels for long enough to put the battery at the three-quarters mark, Nadia and Kilo were on their way southwest through the remains of Fairmont to Clarksburg. From there, they headed due west before stopping in Dayton, Ohio. There was a community of people there, surprisingly. They all seemed okay, but Nadia and Kayla only skirted the town to find a place to hide for the night. A rest stop ended up being the safest place for them as they slept. Nadia woke in the middle of the night to voices and saw a group of drunk men approaching as they catcalled them. She kicked the car into gear and accelerated out of the rest stop and got back onto the road. Her heart was beating rapidly in her chest as she focused on the grassy path. They got clear of Dayton, but they had to park on the side of the road between the trees as the battery was out of power. The sun rose bright the next morning as Nadia rolled out the additional paneling for them to get enough juice to push through the afternoon. The day was clear as they soared through the country. They rolled down the windows and felt the autumn wind in their hair as they drove all day with the sun slowly inching its way ahead of them to the west. They passed through Indianapolis and St. Louis before resting in Columbia, Missouri for the night. They had half power and it started to rain at 11 the following morning. Nadia decided to pull off onto a scenic route 50 miles east of Kansas City to collect more power. They could see the haze beginning to cover the western horizon. 
Static lightning crackled quietly through the giant clouds of dust covering the Great Plains, just a little further beyond the plains and a few hours into the mountains. They were almost there. 3. Kayla In Salina, Kansas, things started getting more difficult. It was hard to see the roads, and even the roads were filled with potholes and broken. They continued following I-70 West over the next few days as they kept themselves full on canned beans and spam. There were fewer structures as they descended into the heart of the plains. The dust storm stripped everything to its base elements over just a few years, peppering matter for months on end with grit. After two days of driving off and on due to the regular dust storms, Kayla couldn't believe they were still in Kansas. They pulled into the weather-beaten remnants of the small town of Oakley as the jeep started making a rattling sound. Nadia took off her suit and climbed under the car with her tools to find that the axle joints had come loose from the regular spray of sand on the underside of the vehicle. They'd also blown a strut after trying to avoid a nasty pothole while going too fast. No way to fix that one, they just had to deal with the rough back end. They were able to keep going to Sharon Springs, Kansas, where they parked for the afternoon to let the battery charge in the sun for the next morning. The two were so tired they laid back the seats and passed out. The eerie part of dust storms is how quiet and slow they move. Nadia was snoring from the driver's seat as, in the rearview mirror and side mirrors, a wall of powder sand like a giant wave in the ocean in suspended slow time swam toward them. Kayla had just felt the peppering of grit when she realized she couldn't see two feet beyond the jeep window. Nadia shook awake and rolled up the windows before climbing out to fold up the solar panels. Nadia was covered with brown dust when she got back inside. That was unexpected, Nadia said. Neither of them slept as they were hailed with dirt and sand all night and into the morning. At 8.30, just after the two had eaten breakfast, it began to rain in addition to the dust storm. They couldn't see out through the front window and the windshield wipers were caked with mud. The occasional flash of lightning broke through the thick layers of muck on the window. It wasn't such a big deal until the rain pattered like crazy, hammering on the roof of the jeep until the mud wore off and all they could see was a torrent of water surrounding them. The jeep began to move as the flood they were caught within rocked the vehicle off the road. They began moving quickly and they didn't stop until the rear end smashed into a rock. The car was shoved into a ditch and the two had to start gathering their weapons and food stores as the back window had begun to leak water into the cabin. Nadia tried to get the car to drive but they were stuck in the mud and water and couldn't get enough traction to pull the weight of the vehicle out of the ditch. As the cabin filled with muddy ditch water, they climbed out Kayla's side to stand on the edge of the road next to the rock that their car had crunched into. Nadia pulled her combat suit out of the jeep and took a few minutes to put it back on in spite of how wet they were and were continuing to get with each passing moment. The rain had lightened to a steady patter and the dust was gone, but Kayla didn't think they'd survive out in the elements like this for longer than a day or so. The air wasn't too cold on its own, but the rain was, and once the wind mixed with the cool of the rain, things started to get uncomfortable. Kayla looked around to see if they could find some place to hold up until the rain passed and their clothes could dry, but there were no rooftops left in the buried town save for a single metal hangar at the far end of town. Sharon Springs was probably too small to be worth a bomb even when the U.S. had been hit with 20,000, but as everyone saw, towns didn't need to be nuked in order to become wiped off the map. Any one of ten other catastrophes could find its way through the darkness. Carrying all their food and equipment, Kayla and Nadia sopped through the ghost town of Sharon Springs. They made their way past the brick wall remains of storefronts and restaurants. 
A farmhouse lay in ruin at the top of the hill on the opposite end of town where a tornado had clearly added insult to injury by scattering most of it in all directions. The average human being's house is such a fragile pile of sticks and plaster. It's not economical in the scheme of a planet that's changing and shifting at all times. By the time they reached the dusty hangar that was half buried in sandy dirt, their boots were covered with mud and their pant legs were brown. The heavy-duty industrial hangar door was locked with a chain and needed a key, but Kayla had been able to score a perfect set of locksmith tools before they left New York. She had always been the best locksmith of the three girls. As she got down on one knee, she realized with her right claw of a hand that picking the lock wouldn't be possible for her. I'm right-handed. I had to change my writing hand. Maybe one day I'll transition over to left on lock picking, but I can't do it with my left, Kayla said. You didn't even try. Nadia scolded her with her arms crossed as the cool wind started to bite through them. Kayla opened the pick case on the ground next to them and picked up the S-rake and torque wrench in her left hand. She positioned the torque wrench between her two metal fingers before it slipped and landed on the wet, sandy concrete outside the hangar door. How about I rotate the torque wrench and you rake the pins? Nadia suggested, hunkering next to Kayla. The two played tug-of-war with the lock on the chain for a few minutes as Kayla raked the pins while Nadia repeatedly rotated against the pin's resistance. The top and bottom pins finally lined up and the locking mechanism clicked. The chain fell from the shackle and the two got to their feet. Nadia took one side of the hanger as Kayla took the other. They both pulled the doors open to reveal a dusty yellow and white Kit Fox experimental airplane with black stripes running down the side. Whoa, mama! Be still my beating heart! Nadia grinned as the two walked around the beautiful work of art. How freaking lucky are we? You can fly this thing? Kayla asked. Probably. They taught and tested us on theory at the academy. Didn't you read those books at all? Not really. I was too busy watching movies. Kayla sighed. Knowledge is power, little sister. Nadia clapped her on the shoulder and took off her armor to begin working on the vessel. It rained heavily again that night as Nadia worked with the tools at her disposal in the hangar. There were three experimental gyrocopters positioned at the back of the hangar that Kayla admired. Those are cool, but they won't take us as far as we need to go, Nadia said as she tightened the ailerons and checked the wires to make sure they were still good. There should be a hangar out there somewhere near the tower. Kayla lay on her back on the floor as the rain dotted the hangar roof, watching Nadia work. Nadia opened the hood of the plane and withdrew the battery. She squinted at Kayla. Twenty minutes later, the two were standing out in the rain over the open hood of the jeep as Kayla held the flashlight over Nadia's shoulder. She had hooked up jumper cables from the battery of the car to the battery for the plane as Kayla shielded the wires from the rain with her sleeve. They must have stood like that for two hours before the car finally went dead. When they checked the battery power back in the hangar with the tester, it showed full. Nadia found several tanks of AV gas that were still half full from over the decades of evaporating. She filled the fuel tanks to full and then checked the brakes. Everything was in working condition. Whoever had owned the plane previously had left a checklist on the dashboard. Running down the list, everything checked out. Kayla had fallen asleep on the floor. Nadia lay next to her and crashed out for a few hours as the storm lightened and went away entirely. 4. Nadia the next morning, Nadia and Kayla loaded the bare minimum of their resources into the small storage space behind the driver and passenger seats. It turned out to be only enough for three days of spam and beans, Nadia's Beretta 92FS and two boxes of ammo, and Kayla's 40 caliber Sig Sauer P226 with two boxes of ammo. That was it. Everything else they'd have to carry. 
They stashed the guns in the hangar after they carted the plane out onto the platform beneath the clear blue sky overhead. The sun was only just breaking the eastern horizon and a cold front had blown through in the night. Nadia had her combat suit in hand as she was about to lock the door behind her. That armor has been nothing but a burden ever since we left, Kayla said with her arms crossed over her breasts to brace against the chilly weather. I know Dr. Gross gave it to you, but you should leave it behind. I can wear it. It's fine, Nadia waved. It's no burden. It adds 20 pounds to the plane. There's already you, me, our stuff, the fact that neither of us have ever flown a plane before. Would it be so hard to just walk? Kayla asked. Kayla, I got this. Nadia started putting on her combat suit once more. They climbed into the plane that was positioned on the dusty farm trail within the silent village as wind blew through the fields to the south, north, east, and west. It was all no country. The only thing that could live out here were snakes and coyotes. They closed the doors of the plane and put on their seatbelts. Nadia turned the power on and brought the fuel pressure up with the auxiliary fuel pump, made sure the fuel was on and that the throttle was fully closed as she pressed the choke. She turned the key on the left of the aircraft's dashboard. She turned the key again, causing the propeller to catch and begin spinning rapidly. Nadia pressed the choke as the fuel and oil temperatures rose. She opened the throttle and released the brake as the aircraft rolled forward from the pull of the prop. Ready? Nadia glanced at Kayla who gave her a thumbs up. They had already begun moving forward as Nadia gave the engine fuel. The kit fox fired forward and bounced on the uneven dirt road of the farm road. This was really old school. The plane got up to 55 miles per hour when the wheels left the ground. She shifted the ailerons as a gust of wind caught and carried them into the air. The wind speed was coming at them crazy hard from the south, pushing them north as they ascended above the line of dead trees below. As they climbed in altitude, Kayla screamed as Nadia banked against the wind to keep their course west. They climbed so high that the dusty fields below passed in seconds. Even 70 years after the nuclear winter and the ravenous dust storms every year after, the patchwork outlines of the different kinds of fields could be seen. The sun was at their backs, casting twisted shadows across the rugged country of the U.S. as the land ascended to the clouds. Nadia couldn't be certain, but she felt like she could see the tower in the distance above the shadowy blue mountains, piercing the heavens like a spear. They settled at cruising height as the plane carried them away from the Great Plains. To the south, a storm was brewing, but they would be long gone before it arrived. Kayla yawned next to her as they soared over Colorado Springs. It had been powdered with white snow, but there was no mistaking that it had been a graveyard for a long time. Misty clouds loomed over the mountains ahead, blocking their view of the horizon. Pike's Peak drifted by them as they continued west, pushing the Kit Fox through the frigid air. As the mist around them broke away to a slow crawl over the mountain ridges, the two of them held their breath at the sight of the tallest glass tower they had ever seen in their lives. It was like something out of a fairy tale, the translucent blue volcano shape that rose all the way to the top of the stratosphere, 30 miles of building climbing from the world's deepest butrist core. The Aeolus Tower was so far away and yet so big that it didn't appear to be getting closer as they flew toward it. The two of them were so caught up in the majesty of the tower and getting closer to it that Nadia gasped when she saw how little fuel they had. That's the Arkansas River down there, isn't it? Nadia asked. Kayla checked the map on the smartphone Teresa had given to them. I think so, she yelled over the thunder of the propeller. Twin Lakes! Kayla pointed to their left. What? Nadia yelled. Twin Lakes! Kayla kept pointing to a vague body of water on their left. It was at that moment that the plane hiccuped and the propeller came to a sudden halt. The plane noticeably lost its momentum as they were just gliding. 
Nadia aimed for the lake, but they were too far north. The Aeolus Tower gazed down at them from Mount Albert as they continued losing altitude to gravity. Nadia tried to circle around and land in the Mount Albert forebay, but couldn't fight the winds coming in from the south. She had to abandon the water plan and aim for a straightaway. Everything within their vicinity was hill and trees. Nadia made an executive decision to line up with a winding road that climbed the lower foothills leading up to Mount Albert. She tried to do what she had done in flight simulation on the computer a thousand times and flutter the last part of the landing with the flaps, but that didn't stop their momentum. They came in hot at 78 miles per hour as the nose of the plane drilled into the ground. They hit a bump and Kayla's head hit the roof of the cabin. The kit fox bounded through a ditch and Nadia's side of the plane crunched through a rock as the plane came to a halt. Everything inside the plane was ticking. Fuel dripped from the wing's fuel tank. Nadia winced as pain tore through her legs, stomach, and chest. Metal was pinning her to the seat from the impact of the rock. She tried to press away and get free, but she was stuck. Nadia tried to suck air, but couldn't. Her left lung was punctured by the torn metal of the kit fox. She looked over to see Kayla passed out with her face against the window. Blood was running down her temple. Nadia angrily fought the situation. She couldn't get her seatbelt free. Gah! She grunted as she pressed the metal piercing through her armor into her chest. God damn it! She sighed, feeling her body grow weaker. Blood was all over the leather seats. She didn't want this loser experimental plane to be her coffin. She couldn't die here. Kayla! She whispered. Kayla! Tears rolled down her cheeks as she continued trying to press the yellow and white panel that was slowly killing her. 5. Brian Brian Summers had been driving his truck back to the tower to sell some deer meat to the locals when he saw the first plane in his life crash into the hillside in the rearview mirror of his truck. He slammed on the brakes and skidded to a stop on the road before backing up and accelerating uphill to the crash point. He parked his truck next to the plane and jogged around to the other side. He heard grunting from within. Grabbing the cabin door, a young brown-haired girl fell into his arms. She had blood dripping from her forehead. Fear iced through him when he saw that she had a mechanical arm of some kind. Help me! Someone spoke from the other seat of the plane. Brian looked up to see a woman in a strange suit of gray armor literally pinned to the seat of the aircraft. Hang on, I'm gonna help. Just stay right there. He grabbed the tail of the plane and pulled as hard as he could. The woman inside gave an agonized yell as the tail and seats of the plane pulled away from the wreckage at the front. Brian heard her unbuckle the seatbelt and was shocked to see her stand up amidst the destruction of the plane. Standing at a sickly angle, the woman turned around with a pistol in her hand aimed at him. She had blood running down her ear and shoulder. She looked like she'd just been hit by a car, and yet she was still threatening him. He took a step back with his hands raised. If you touch my sister... Her eyes rolled into the back of her head and she collapsed but didn't lose consciousness. Hey, relax. I'm here to help. Just put the gun down. Brian said. The woman tossed the gun and clutched her bleeding stomach as she mouthed something. Her whole upper body was rocking back and forth like a boxer that was trying to stand up in the ring after a long fight but was losing the ability to do so. What? He asked. My bag! The girl yelled. Medicine! Lady, we're like a ten minute drive from a real doctor, so let me just get you and your sister in my truck and we can go up the hill. He trailed off at the sight of a medical truck rolling down the road to the tower toward them with its lights flashing. Sweet Jesus. Hey, hey, over here. He waved as the medical truck mounted the hill and went off the road to meet them. Don't. The woman shook her head behind him. 
Don't let them hurt my sister. Nobody's going to hurt you or your sister. It's all good. Everything's fine, Brian said as he hunkered down next to her. You're going to be A-OK in a week. Just sit tight. Two of the tower medical technicians climbed the hill to meet them before putting the woman who was miraculously still conscious on the first stretcher. They came back with a second stretcher and brought the second girl to the truck. She was knocked out with a concussion, but she would probably be back in no time. This is a weird one. First plane accident victim since the bombs fell, the technician said to Brian. You'd better head up to the office and let them know what you saw. We'll do, we'll do. Get him out of here, Brian said as the technician hurried and hopped in the back of the medical truck with the two victims. Brian opened his eyes wide and put his hand over his mouth when he saw the woman, who had five minutes earlier been dying in the fuselage of a plane, punch the technician square between the eyes. Watch out for that one, he called after them as the technician clutched his face. The truck started up the road and made for Aeolus on the hill. 6. Kayla Kayla rounded her jaw as the biggest migraine she had ever experienced punished her for regaining consciousness. She felt a cold ice pack weighing on her head as she heard the sound of something even more annoying than the feeling of her headache, Nadia flirting. She opened her eyes to see a hospital infirmary high up on a floor of a building with the strangest glass walls. When Kayla looked over, she saw a man in a plaid shirt and denim jeans and boots sitting at Nadia's bedside, holding a pair of flowers as Nadia tongued the inside of her cheek. Nadia wore a hospital gown and had several stitches next to her ear, but that didn't stop her from grinning broadly as the man smooth-talked her. Where are we? Kayla spoke loudly through her headache as she looked around. Nadia tried to get up but couldn't. She's awake! Get Dr. Taylor! The man she'd been talking to got up and rushed to Kayla's side. I'll get the doctor. The guy ran off as Nadia burst out laughing. What's going on? Kayla sat back in her upright hospital bed as the migraine came back strong. You died and went to heaven. That's what happened. Look at your lucky ass. Nadia pointed. What? Kayla looked at Nadia frustratedly before Nadia pointed at her arm. Kayla's eyes adjusted to the pink flesh and motion of a regular human arm. How? She looked to Nadia. Freaking nanotechnology. I don't even have a scar. Look at this shit. Nadia raised her shirt to show her bare stomach. Not that Kayla understood the scale of Nadia's recent accident. Can't wait to show you around this place. It's so cool. Kayla looked around and was able to see down through the floors below to see a bustling, conical, borderline science fiction utopia spreading all the way down the mountainside below. Overhead, the levels and floors of the glass building rose to boundless heights. A minute later, a doctor with a bushy beard entered the room. Well, good evening, he said lethargically. Good to see you up finally. How are you feeling? Like shit, Kayla said bluntly. Nadia snorted from her corner. That's to be expected. I noticed you have the same tongue as your sister. Dr. Taylor checked her heart by having her sit forward so he could press his stethoscope to her back. He unplugged the scope from his ears and checked her eyes and ears. Everything looks good. You should have a little pain for a few days, but it'll go away in time. Is there anything I can do for you? Other than what's this going to cost me? Nothing. Kayla shrugged and pressed the ice pack to her forehead for instant relief. Medical treatment in the tower is and always will be free. All right, if you need anything, then don't hesitate to call me. Dr. Taylor nodded with his hands in his pockets before he left the infirmary. How long was I out? Kayla asked. About 18 hours, Nadia said. I learned how to start and fly an airplane, but I guess I never finished the book on how to make an emergency landing. Kayla lay back in her hospital bed and looked at the ceiling. You almost got us killed. You're such a bitch. Wait until Teresa hears about this, Nadia beamed. 
The two girls were able to chat and laugh for a few minutes before Nadia's new boyfriend came back. He introduced himself and told her that he lived on the outside and usually hunted to sell the game he caught to the civilians on the inside of the tower. She watched them slowly leave Kayla out of the conversation and focus on one another. Kayla felt comfortable here. There were no robots, the scenery was incredible in every direction, and the best part was that they were safe. As Kayla listened to her sister chat with Brian, she stared at the ceiling and slowly drifted to rest. Peace had finally found its way into a world that was almost too cruel to bear. Epilogue Leoric Pretty cool, huh? The two lab technicians that had removed Kayla's mechanical arm admired its unique design on the operating table. Very. Hungry? The other technician asked as he took off his gloves and mask before leaving the operation room. Within the buzzing hive of the infirmary, the audio recorder on Kayla's arm picked up everything. When the area was clear, the metal arm and sharp needle-like fingers grabbed and pulled itself over the plastic coverlet to the computer terminal built into the wall for medical records. A small cord emerged from the side of the hand and formed a matching plug for the device's input. The fingers of the mechanical arm twitched before the cord retracted. The hand grabbed its way back to the middle of the operating table where it went comatose. The computer monitor flashed with a water droplet that was Leoric's loading symbol before the computer went black. A war is coming within this world. Expect new episodes to take shape in the coming seasons of the podcast. Have a great month, everyone. The Apocalypse Theater podcast was produced, directed, written, and voiced by Benjamin Allen. If you'd like to support our podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a good review, like, or check out our donation page on the contacts page of our website. You can also purchase my books and audiobooks in the future. Visit ekpublishingmedia.com for more information. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast is an EK Publishing Media Production 2020.